bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with my special guest, Charlotte Sells. <laughs> Glad you're here with us today. Thanks. Uh, One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries. Many times you hear about the negative impact that drugs and crime make on our community, but you don't hear about the positive impact that one radically changed drug addict makes when Jesus gets a hold of them. And uh, we're going to explore your life today, Sharla, and we're going to talk about the, the details um, of your past and then... Uh, what God is doing today, and then the future of what God is doing, uh, where you see yourself headed. Um, and we believe that sometimes bigger the mess, the bigger the mess, the bigger the message. And so there's people that are going to watch this and, and listen to this, <clears throat> and some of them don't understand like what happens in the details of our our addiction and our past and the things that have happened to us that bring us to that place. Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be people that are going to be watching this and listening to that, this, um, who need hope. There are going to be people who are, are watching this that maybe have loved ones that are strung out or on yeah. drugs or alcohol. And some are, are maybe just enabling, some maybe judging. Mm -hmm. They don't understand. And so I'm going to interview you today and just kind of go over a couple theme verses. Okay. So uh, one of the verses that we use is Psalms fifty one seventeen. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Psalms fifty one seventeen says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, mm. you will not despise. And so we talk about the brokenness, right? The one broken life. And so uh, the, we're going to talk about the things that brought you to your broken place, right? And then... Uh, Philippians 1.12, Paul said, Brethren, I want you to know the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, <clears throat> to make the gospel go further than it had gone. And so um, the things which happened to you have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Absolutely. And so let's just kind of give me a brief five-minute or so less summary. What was life like growing up for you? We grew up very poor. Um, it was me and my sister. She's older than me. Um, my mom and my dad, and they got divorced when I was about five. Um, one night, my mom just got us in the car, and we just went from St. Louis to Buffalo and moved in with my grandparents. Okay. Um, so that's kind of how it went. They were fighting all the time. Um, my dad was involved with drugs, um, and I didn't really know what was going on, but I saw them fight a lot. My um, mom almost got her arm broken one time trying to keep a bag away from my dad, and 
you know, I didn't know what was in that bag, but uh, it was a very traumatizing childhood. My mom was uh, in and out of hospitals all the time. Uh, there would be months when we wouldn't see her because of her mental illness and, and um, not being able to hold it all together. So uh, I remember my dad being gone a lot. He worked nights. So when he was home, he was sleeping. Um, and I remember I would stay up really late almost all night um, most of the time to wait for him um, just because I always had that fear that he wouldn't come home because he was gone most of the time. So um, I, I really struggled because I was a daddy's girl. I wanted him to love me and uh, he just didn't know how. Um, he was in love with he was in love with the drugs more than he was even his family. So, okay. So, um, so we we talk about you know you growing up. We see your dad as a functioning drug addict for a while. Had a job. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And so you had a place to live, mm -hmm. and then uh, abuse was in the home. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and you witnessed that. So that was a normality, right? And yeah. so that's what, okay, this is what a mother looks like. This is what a wife looks like. This is what a father looks like. This is what a husband looks like. Yeah. So I'm supposed to find a man like this. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be a wife like this, a mom like this. And so um, that really has an effect on people when Definitely. they grow up. And so uh, tell us about when your drug use started. How did that happen? Well, my dad... Uh got custody of me and my sister when we were, when I was about nine and moved us one night from Buffalo, Missouri to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and I really did not want to leave. I didn't want to say goodbye to my friends um, and didn't really want to be with my dad um, at that point. He had a girlfriend and um, they just weren't, hadn't ever really been part of our lives. So um, I had witnessed a lot of neglect and, um, a lot of the wrong ways of showing love. So when we moved to Arizona, um, I really struggled with school. Uh, I met these friends that were uh, skipping all the time. Uh, I remember lying to my dad uh, about where I was going and that I was going to school and I would get on the city bus and go to my friends at 11. Uh, I smoked my first joint. Uh, I got this huge Ziploc bag full of this green plant-like substance, didn't really know what it was, and um, had a friend with me, and we just smoked it. And um, that whole time in Arizona, I just started um, getting with men. I remember my friend, she would wear makeup to make her look a lot older, so I would do the same thing, and this was in fifth, sixth grade. Uh, and we would go down the street and there would be guys, you know, in this trailer park, a bunch of Mexicans, and they uh, invited us over. And so we lied about our age, told them that we were 16. And um, so then I started drinking as well. Uh, we would be driving and drinking. I remember drinking 10 wine coolers one time and, and getting so sick, I threw up red. And so I thought it was blood because I didn't know that that's even what it did. Um, I remember... Um, just several times of when I would come home drunk and my dad would be laying in his sleeping bag because we didn't have furniture at this point. We had lawn chairs and a futon that me and my sister slept in. And um, You shared the futon? We shared the futon in a, in, a, in a bedroom. We had a bedroom and a TV. We had no kitchen table. My dad had a room, but he slept in the um, 
in the kitchen area in the dining room area where the TV was in his sleeping bag. Um, and he would be gone most of the time. Um, he got a job working, um, he said in Mexico for, you know, a week here and a week there. So we would have guys over. My sister, uh, started smoking weed with me and, um, it affected her differently. She, uh, would sleep for days after she would get high. And so, um, I wasn't a very nice person at that point. I treated her really badly. Um, and my life was involved in these, these, these kids, like my best friend had a house arrest. She was on house arrest and she was 12 years old. And so we would right after school, go to these guys house, get really high and then walk home before her cutoff time was that she had to be home. And I remember one time it was laced, the joint was laced with PCP and, uh, we walked home and I, started getting really sick and um, seeing these blocks and feeling like I was in this cartoon and I couldn't walk anymore. And um, we finally got to a stopping point and I just threw up everywhere. I, I couldn't hold it anymore. And that was, you know, before I was even a teenager. Um, it was a pretty rough time. I, uh, 12 years old, went to a party and got completely trashed um, and started doing cocaine and I didn't really know even what it was or what it did. They just gave it to me and I did it. Whatever I was given, I would do. And um, I remember snorting so much cocaine that my nose just started bleeding and gushing blood. Um, so I just went to the bathroom, cleaned it up and did some more. <laughs> like that's just what my life was like um, in middle school. So. Yeah. And so unfortunately, it's not gotten any better for kids today. Mm -mm. Um, they have new drugs. Yeah. And so, and they have new things they do, TikTok dares. Absolutely. And, and all this crazy <laughs> stuff. And so, uh, so here you are, uh, dad is, you know, you're pretty much fending for yourself. So you mentioned that your dad had a fiance. Was she around during this time? She left him. Okay. Um, about a year in, in Phoenix, she left him and um, he wouldn't get married to her. So she decided she would leave and um, I didn't see her again until I was probably 32. Um, so it was just my dad at that point. So I didn't meet you in Arizona. No. So how did you get back to Springfield? Well, my uh, sister graduated from high school um, in Phoenix and I was in eighth grade and my mom's family decided they were going to come pick us up and get us back from my dad. So they came out there for graduation. And um, you graduated high school. Sarah did. Sarah my sister did. did. Okay. I was still in middle school. Okay. Um, and I didn't want to leave because I had a boyfriend. You know, I was sleeping around with all these guys and uh, thought that was what was love. So I didn't want to leave, but there was no choice. They didn't give us the option. So. Uh, they came to visit us, and then my mom bought us tickets on a Greyhound to get back to Buffalo, Missouri. So me and my sister and my mom get on this Greyhound bus, and um, at that point, you know, it was like three or four days before we got back to, to Buffalo, but my mom didn't have a home for us. She had no job. Uh, she had no way to provide for us, so instead of you know moving into a home that was stability she got us into the missouri hotel here in springfield the moho the moho <laughs> that's I right that well yeah yeah so we um rough lived, place it's very rough 
Um, lots of people drinking, you know, outside all the time. Kids running around, getting lice all the time. Um, you know, people just doing things to other people that aren't really appropriate or right. And it gets un unnoticed because there was so many people in there. No air conditioning. Um, I mean, and it was hot some days. One room for your whole family. Yeah. It was tough. So you're down here at the Missouri Hotel. Uh, so where do we go from there? Well. Um, How old were you? I was 14. So what about school? Well, I got put in Central High School, and I dropped out within three or four months. I started smoking weed again, started meeting people in the Missouri Hotel um, that were my age or a little older, and they were getting drunk all the time and smoking weed, and so I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go back to school. So I'd tell my mom I was going to school, and I'd go to these adults' houses and just get wasted every single day. Um, I would sneak out. My mom put me in Lakeland because I was running away all the time um, to go sleep with a dude. And um, eventually it got to the point to where I ran off and went to Kansas City with this family I had met the day before. And, um, you know, we always think that the grass is greener on the other side. So I thought, well, this family will be better. So I go with them and they, of course, were homeless. So uh, we move into a shelter in Kansas City and it was scary and rough. And the mom beat her kids. So I call my aunt and I, she lived there in Kansas City and I ask her to come and get me just for the weekend. So she comes to get me and brings me back to Buffalo to my aunt and uncles and they take hold of me and get guardianship and start taking care of me, get me back in school. Um, I graduate high school. Uh, I kind of see a little bit about what a st stable family is like um, and what structure is and boundaries. And, um, you know, I did everything that I could to like do the right thing because these this family was taking me in and I knew it, I was, I thought I was long gone at that point, you know, um, but I was able to graduate, went to a Christian college after that and um, went overseas to teach English as a second language. And um, at this point, I had been sober the whole time. Um, I had stopped doing everything, uh, started going into church and learning about Jesus, um, but I wasn't I, I had gotten saved when I was a kid, but I was never discipled. I was never taught how to live right and what it means to really be a Christian. So uh, when I went overseas, it was meant to be a, a mission trip. Um, and I got a hold of the wrong crowd and started drinking there. And Where were you at? I was in Romania. Okay. And it's a very socially acceptable thing to drink there. So um, it's nothing unusual for a kid even to be drinking. So I was 19 years old and it's legal to drink it at 18 there. So it wasn't anything um, abnormal. So I would start drinking all the time. And I remember coming to teach English drunk still from the day before um, and we would have Bible studies and I remember being so hung over during these Bible studies I'd have to go to the bathroom to throw up because I was so sick from the day before and um, I felt guilty about it but I didn't want to change it because it's all I knew it's I didn't know that there was another really another way to live 
Um, and I, I thought it was okay because, you know, I said I was a Christian. I was doing this mission trip. And um, so, you know, everybody does it. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Came back and, um, I mean, really went far off. I um, had been there almost two years and really struggled with just loneliness. And so I thought the Lord wanted me to come home so I could get married. And he had a man for me. And that was the meaning. That was the answer to everything. And so I got home in April. And by August, I was married. Um, Met this guy from a job that I uh, started and knew him about six weeks. And then we decided we were going to get married because I thought I was pregnant. You know, we started sleeping together and I thought I was pregnant and I thought, well, that's the right thing to do. We're just going to get married. So um, we started going to a church so that we could get married by this pastor of the church. And they said, well, you have to be baptized. So we got baptized together. And so we didn't really understand even the meaning behind it, you know, we just did it because it was the right thing to do. So how how old were you? I was about 22, Okay. 22, 23 in that area. How old are you today? Can I ask that? Yeah. 37. Okay. So, yeah. So it was a, a whirlwind. Got married. Um, and by October uh, or December, I was pregnant, um, with my oldest and there was already red flags. Um, abuse had already started. Manipulation had already started. Um, we were, you know, smoking and drinking a lot. Um, but I stopped that, you know, whenever I got pregnant, cause I thought, okay, well, you know, as long as I don't do this while I'm pregnant, everything will be fine. Um, but it got physical. The, the fights got physical. And, um, I remember, after my daughter was born he would my ex-husband would take my daughter and put her on the other side of our bed and wouldn't let me get to her and let her just bawl and cry and just say this is what you're doing this is all your fault why can't you get her to be quiet and um i mean cops had been called there had been assault charges um but i would always go get him i would always um you know think well i need to go get him and i'm not press charges and so i never did and um, we moved several times during that time, uh, started smoking weed a lot. Um, it was kind of, in my mind, my medication because I couldn't handle life without something um, or felt like I couldn't. And um, stopped going to church after we got married. You know, that was just a thing that we did just to be able to, to get married the right way, according to what the world says, at least. So, um, we just up and did that and then had a baby and um i tried to leave my husband my ex-husband and um went all the way to kansas and went to the school that i was going to lived there for three months and one holiday he got started getting a hold of me on yahoo messenger back when that was cool (laughs) and uh I couldn't stop talking to him, and I, I felt like I had been such a guilty person for leaving the situation and, and causing a broken home, and so I went back and um, thought that things were going to be different that time, thought that it was going to be, was going to turn around for the better, um, and I got back, and that was not the case. Um, it was worse than it was before. 
Um, we, he would be gone till three or four in the morning. He was still in copper from his job. Um, he was doing all kinds of drugs. And so I started doing the same thing. And, um, then I got pregnant again. Um, and I was doing pills at this point, um, anxiety pills and, and weed. And so I was trying to actually go get some volumes from the emergency room and, they told me that I was pregnant and I was like, no, that's not true. They actually called me Charlotte and not Charla. So I thought it was the wrong person, <laughs> but it wasn't. I was pregnant and um, I freaked out. I was very mad and angry and didn't want to want to have another kid because I knew that we were already doing it the wrong way. I, I knew in my heart that it was not right. And my daughter was already experiencing this chaos. I didn't want to bring another kid in the world and and continue to to mess up someone else's life so where's your where's your mom and your stable family in buffalo at this time they um my mom ended up not being so stable she was back and forth um with men for i mean up until just within the last 10 years i would say um she really struggled with alcoholism and just mental illness in general um so she you know, moved back and forth from Buffalo to Springfield. And um, there were bouts of, of healthy moments in her life, but um, most of it was, was chaos. So at this time when your relationship with your ex-husband, mm -hmm. is that what yeah. you, do I call him? Uh, you're in this toxic environment. It's worse. You're pregnant. Mm -hmm. How old is Abby? She's about um, 12 months. She's uh, about a year. Okay. And yeah. so you're pregnant with Oliver. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I always call them Ollie and Abby. Yeah. It kind of helps me remember the A, the A ah sound. But yeah. anyway, um, and so you you and your ex-husband uh, are at war. Mm -hmm. Drugs are prevalent. Yeah. Toxic environment, immaturity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, your relationship is like basically two nine-year-olds being married. For sure. Right. And so <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <clears throat> what happens next? Well, um I was about five months pregnant with with Ollie, and um, I just well, he decides that he's going to go into rehab, and at that point, I'm like, whatever it takes. And we had been fighting so much, I didn't just didn't even want him around. I did, I, but I couldn't tell him to leave. I I couldn't um, sever what I thought was a good thing. So um, honestly, I considered this an answer to prayer uh, because I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't leave him. So he goes to rehab and um, it was a three month rehab and he gets out and he goes to live with his parents in Oklahoma. So I. Um, so he leaves you. Yeah, he leaves me. And I remember driving myself to the hospital um, to give birth. I remember um, being by myself. My my um, family came to visit me and stole 100 bucks while I'm giving birth with my kid. Um, I had some guy taking care of Abigail at the time because I had no reliable anyone to be able to help me while I was giving birth. And I remember calling him to tell him, hey, you know, your son's about to be here and they didn't even come. So, and, and I was hurt, even though this is what I wanted, I couldn't stand the thought of being alone. Um, codependent. Absolutely codependent. 
So I had, and he was, uh, he was dirty for marijuana. So there's people listening don't know what that means. Yeah. So he is Oliver. Yes, Oliver had marijuana in his system. Yes. Okay, from you. Mm-hmm. From me. Okay. And so you, so did the state take him and get involved? They didn't, but they did get involved. Um, Which they didn't is take an him. To but prayer, absolutely, really. absolutely. So now you got accountability. Yeah. And what happens then? They come and do a home visit, and I stayed up all night and cleaned the house, and they basically dropped the case. Which you wouldn't have done. No. At least you got a clean house out right. of the deal, right? Right, so right. Your house is clean, and yeah. you're like, man, I need to really change my life. Yeah. So then what? Well, um, I got pills. I got pain pills, you know, so I, I thought, oh, well, I'm going to quit these drugs, you know, just in case. And But I had these pills that were prescribed to me for pain. So I was taking them, you know, as per prescribed and things were fine. And I became addicted to those. Um, as soon as I didn't have them, I was kind of sick and um, but didn't really think anything of it, you know, was trying to do things right. Well... I start smoking weed again, probably within about six months of um, having Oliver. And my mom had moved up to Springfield and, um, you know, and I started taking anxiety pills again, but they weren't prescribed, you know, so I was just getting them from people. And um, my mom had Oliver um, during like for for um, a couple hours while I was supposed to be at work, but I didn't go. I was going and getting high. And um, next thing I know, I get this phone call from the hospital saying that my son is in the hospital with all these bruises. And um, turns out my mom was getting drunk and DFS got involved there. So um, thankfully, um, I don't know if I should say thankfully, but he wasn't taken at that point, and I didn't learn my lesson. Um, I went through the process, did what they wanted me to do until I got him off my back, and then things were what they were. Well, during this time, Abigail had gotten, um, I, I was, well, let me back up. So I had Oliver, and I wanted uh, my ex-husband to be involved with their lives so I let Abby go and visit while I was like healing from having Oliver um, to go visit his her dad um, and I never got her back for nine years okay. so so um, you get separated from your kids mm-hmm. because of your addiction yeah and you end up on the street mm-hmm. so all of this leads to uh, well, there's a lot of guilt and shame. There's a lot of remorse. There's a yeah. lot of uh, self-medicating. No doubt. And so me and you meet mm-hmm. uh, because you were, you know, in recovery and coming to Freeway back when we had the old gym. Yeah. And uh, so I have a relationship with you there. And I remember when you used to come and you were in recovery then. Yeah. And I guess your kids were not with you at that Mm-mm. time. Uh, but... You always would bring people. You were like mm-hmm. attracting people to God. Yeah. A God magnet. And uh, and so that's when I met you, and then you disappeared. And then all of a sudden, uh, some may be listening for the first time or not really know about our ministry, but we have uh, residential homes for men and women, and uh, we call them discipleship houses. It may not be the most clever name, but it is what it is, right? It's a discipleship house we discipleship following christ is our recovery and when we believe when you get that right you know 
uh, when you get a right relationship with Jesus and you start walking out the Word of God and you get mentored by a spiritual, uh, someone who has, you know, spiritual maturity in their life, then the recovery part happens. Yeah. Right? And so we get a letter from Sharla at that time more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so you are incarcerated. Yep. And so uh, for the sake of time, we kind of speed this up, get into this place. But how did you end up in that jail? I uh, became homeless, lost everything. My kids were with my friend, and I started walking the streets of Springfield for nine months. And during that nine-month time period, uh, every other week or so, I was in jail for uh, burglary, for trespassing, for resisting arrest, for um, uh, stealing cars, uh, attempting to steal cars. Um, so you know how to steal cars? Well, it was never successful, apparently. <laughs> So apparently not. <laughs> um, and thankfully I got caught because the last time um, I got picked up, there was no release date and my bond was so high. There's no way I could have ever thought of getting a bondsman. Um, and I was at the end of my rope. You have a great testimony video and uh, you you are mugshot famous. I mean... <laughs> There are so probably more yeah. mugshots of Sharla, more because <laughs> it's not under Charlotte's right. cells, than any person that we've had in the program. Yeah. And so it's just mugshot after mugshot after mugshot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as we talk through that and you're in jail, you have no bond. I was unbondable. Yeah. I remember my addiction. I mean, and the reason I'm saying I was unbonded, unbondable is because of my lack of responsibility mm -hmm. to go to court. Right. So since I wouldn't show up at court and the bondsman would have to hunt me down, yeah. no one would bond me because I would run. Right. And, and so, I mean, it didn't matter what it was. But I remember having, you know, sitting in the jail for hundreds of days mm. just to finish my court. Yeah. Because, you know, even if it was a misdemeanor. Right. I would, I, you know, and <laughs> yeah. so, and it was, I was thankful for that. Yeah. Because, you know, it gave me some time to sleep, eat, rest, and mm -hmm. stay sober. But... So you write freeway from jail. Uh, you're in jail. Before you get, before we get into that part of it, as you think about that nine, you say nine years, how nine months on the street, nine, nine months, months on the street. So yeah. nine months on the street. Tell us about your darkest moment. We don't mm -hmm. want to give the devil any airplay. We don't want to make it seem cool to be, you know, run or be yeah. on drugs or anything. But I believe when you share like that dark moment. Uh, people can kind of really realize, mm. like for me, it was people, you could smell my feet through my clothes, mm -hmm. from my shoes. Yeah. I would go to the dope house and they would make me put my shoes and my socks in a trash bag, mm -hmm. put my clothes in a trash bag, change my clothes and take a shower before I could even sit on the couch. Yeah, I mean, so there's a dark moment and that's true. That's who I used to be. And so what was your dark moment? Like when you think back, um, what was it like that place, you know, that took you to your broken, broken place whenever you got to jail and you mm. got clean and detoxed in jail and you took a shower and you laid down in your bunk and you thought about it? Like, mm. what would be your dark moment? Um, I would say um, 
There was two. One of them was getting kicked out of the trap houses um, because nobody wanted me around. I spent days walking alone on the streets. um, And the last one would be eating out of the trash can. Um, I would walk the streets every night dumpster diving because that's all I knew to do and nobody wanted to hang out with me. So um, I remember being so hungry and couldn't get any food and so I went to a dumpster and um, it was downtown by one of the restaurants and I knew there'd be food in there so um, all I could find was onions (laughs) but I'm telling you you know when you're hungry and there's nothing else to eat that's what you do is you eat those onions and you're thankful for it Um, and that's what I did and I probably stunk and it was it was horrible it was a horrible experience because I remember is this all there is is this is this what's left of my life? Right. You know, so. Yeah, and then you get to think about your kids. And yeah. You think about everything else because, you know, I always tell people when they're on drugs to drink a glass of milk and eat a, eat a you know, peanut butter sandwich and go yeah. to sleep. But when you come down, even if it's eating onions, mm-hmm. you know, you think about all that stuff. Oh, yeah, Because that guilt. you feel it now. For and sure. And all you want to do is make it go away again. Yeah. And so you're on the hunt again, yeah. right? And so uh, you're in jail. Uh, you're just, let's talk. Okay, so you're in jail. You're sober. You can't get out. I receive a letter from you. Yeah. I go visit you in jail. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about, like, what happened. Because you you come to the freeway program, uh, but you wrote a letter. You, you, did, you didn't have a bond. No. So what happened? How did the transformation happen in your life to where you are today? Well, um, we still had church in jail. And so I would do anything I could to get out of there um, and be able to go somewhere to the NA meetings, AA meetings, the church uh, services. And I went to one and they played a song um, by Lauren Daigle um, called I Will Rescue You. And it talks about no matter how far gone you are, our God is gonna gonna rescue us, and and it gave me this hope, and I just broke down because it was speaking right to me. The Lord just opened up my heart and and reminded me of of the fact that I'm not too far gone. He is going to rescue me. He has already rescued me. So, um, and my life changed after that. Even even with the the thought of still being in jail and not knowing when I was gonna get out, I knew that that god was going to make make this disastrous desert type situation into a beautiful beautiful life so here i am (laughs) yeah so we received a letter from you i go in you're like a bright light and a shining in a dark place and so i told charla i said you know my wife her name's charla for those that don't know that i told my charla they call my wife Mama Charla because they call you Little Charla, yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious because my wife is little too. Yeah. But, uh, so, anyways, I'm sorry, I'm going down a rabbit trail. But <clears throat> so I told my wife like you're doing really good. I think we should give you a shot, and uh, and then you are accepted into the Freeway Ministry Discipleship Program. So did they decide to give you no bond? Did they decide to stipulate you? I don't remember exactly how that happened. Well, they uh, released me on pretrial services uh, with an ankle monitor. 
Um, I had a strict curfew. I could not go to certain places in Springfield or even in Nixa. Um, and I had to be very careful about, you know, my behavior because they would send a SWAT after me if I ended up doing anything outside of what the rules said I could do. So um, they released me into freeway custody, court ordered, and I was still awaiting sentencing. Um, so they did lower the bond um, and then ended up releasing me. R-O? R, no. no um, O-R? O-R, yeah. O-R. yeah uh, You're yeah. all Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, we have spent this this time, so we, we're going to kind of speed, we'll speed around the next one. <laughs> and so I want to share with everybody just all the cool stuff that God is doing in your life. Yeah. And we're going to, we talked about your BC, which is before Christ. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to talk about your after Christ uh, on our next episode. But today you're, you're got your kids back. Yeah. <laughs> today you are married yeah. to a wonderful man. Who also graduated the Freeway Ministries program, yeah. and who also was court ordered to come. Yeah, and so, uh, and here you are, you guys. How long have you been married now? Oh, six months. You're, you're new, new, newlywed. Yeah, <laughs> and so you get to uh, you get to learn about all the blended family drama. Yeah, and having teenagers at home. Absolutely, never and, a dull moment. <laughs> yeah. But you're still serving the Lord. Absolutely. And you're clean and sober. How long have you been clean and sober? Two and a half years now. So praise the Lord. Yeah. So we're going to really get into this. And so I I would not miss this next episode for anything. If if I'm listening right now, you need to make sure you listen to the next one. Hit that click button. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you share it with your friends um, from whatever you listen to? Maybe it's Apple or Google or Spotify um, maybe it's the YouTube channel, the Facebook page. If you would share that, uh, Freeway Ministries um, is the reason we are, we're doing this. This is a this is a production of Freeway Ministries, and so if you want to support Freeway and you want to help us continue to reach more Charlotte Morris, Charlotte Cells, sorry, <laughs> uh, you can go to the website at freeway-ministries.com and you can click uh, the give button and you can give a one-time gift or you can become a monthly partner. Help us as we reach one broken life at a time. So thank you, Charlotte Sells. You got it. Yeah, You're welcome. I'm getting it. <laughs> and I uh, appreciate you coming on and, and, and sharing your heart. Thank you. So we'll see you guys next time.